Hello, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Welcome to another episode of Hashtag SM Life. This is what I'd like to call the bonus episode. I obviously wanted to practice my podcasting skills because I'm a stage manager, so I come prepared. And so I roped my family members into letting me interview them as well. I come from a very big management family. And so the first episode from the bonus Zupanski Wisdom series, I'm going to call it, is an interview with my dad. His name is Randy Zupanski. He is a general manager for hotels. And he just drops wisdom left and right. Like, I mean, my whole life growing up is essentially a bulletin board full of Pinterest quotes. And there's reason behind every single one of them. And you're about to hear about all of it and hear a little bit about the hotel business and how he got to where he is today. And I think that a lot of stage managers are going to be surprised at how relatable and transferable all of your skills are into this completely different and yet very similar genre of work. So let's get started. I'm here today with my dad, Mr. Randy Zupanski. Good morning, everyone. So formal. Um, All right. So my dad is being awesome and helping me practice because I've never done any podcasting before. Uh, So, you know, he's super nice and agreed to help me out. So, Dad. (laughs) No choice. (laughs) (laughs) So first and foremost, the most important question of the day, what do you think a stage manager is? You know, I, I compare it very much to what I do as being a general manager of a hotel. You're orchestrating a lot of different departments to make something happen on time. And so if you were to describe what you do as a general manager, what would you say you do? Well, I would say I do a lot of different things. Uh, you know, I always describe myself as knowing, um, knowing not a lot about anything, but a little about a lot of things. And in a hotel, you have a lot of different businesses running within each other, connecting to each other to make great service happen. So my job is about executing that and helping our team execute great service while at the same time providing a fair return for our owner. Exactly. So for all the stage managers out there, it sounds a lot like what we do, right? You work big picture and small picture, and you kind of help facilitate the communication between all the departments, right? Yeah, that's very much true. So, Dad, just to give everybody a little bit of perspective on you know how I became the manager I am today, uh, what is your number one motto as a general manager? I have a few. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell us all of them. They're probably all wise words. (laughs) Well, I like to use the term opportunity for greatness. Ooh, I've I've heard that before. Yeah, and that's uh, generally whenever we have um, a great opportunity, the challenge basically is how do we make it great? Uh So uh, I use that a lot with our team. Okay. All right. I think as an operating style, I, I like to work with a balanced scorecard. And, what does that mean? And what that means is, is that basically I put equal weight on the colleague, on the guest, on the ownership, and on the brand. And the reason for that is, is if there's too much in one direction, then everything falls out of balance. So a good example for that is if we have very, very happy colleagues but no profit, 
<laughs> right? Something's going to happen, mm -hmm. right? The owners are going to change their strategy. They're not going to invest in the hotel. They're not going to give bonus at the end of the year. And we're going to have unhappy colleagues and that's going to reduce the service and eventually everybody loses. So finding this happy balance, right, is really key to any great management. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so then tell me where did positive things happen to positive people come into your life? Because it's been in my life my whole mm. life. Well, you know, I think it started when I first started out my career. I read a, a book, um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, mm -hmm. and it was about positive attitude. And, you know, and I think having a positive attitude can change a lot of things. And th throughout my career, I've used that. And especially in times when you're, when you're really in trouble, right? And I've, I've opened five hotels. And ge generally, whenever you open a hotel, there's always this down period after you've opened, after everybody's gone through excitement of opening. Now they have to get to business. And really maintaining a positive attitude is, is, is critical. And at one time, we even, um, in Vancouver, when we opened the Fairmont Pacific Rim, we, we were in that dull period after opening where everybody, you know, has to, they're kind of going, working in their own silos, they're not communicating, there was a, kind of a negative energy. So we created a positivity wall. Yeah. And, <laughs> and what we did is we put a flip chart at the employee entrance, and we asked everybody, when coming to work, to write a positive message. And then we use those positive messages and put them permanently as a fixture on the entry wall, on the employee entrance as a positivity wall, reminding everybody to be positive. And sounds silly, but it had a huge influence, right, and changed the momentum, right, of the employee attitude at that time. So, again, for all the stage managers out there, see how similar our industries are, right? He, in his career, has opened hotels similar to opening a show. You go through the process of getting everyone together, figuring out what they're doing, making it happen. And then he has to run the hotel after it's open, similar to us when we open a show. And then it runs for two, three months or potentially for an X amount of time if you're on Broadway or you keep getting extended. And how do you keep the morale up? How do you keep everybody working together, doing their best work once you've opened, right? Anybody that's ever worked with me, you know, you make fun of my clip art, but you definitely smiled while you looked at it when you walked in the door. So I learned it somewhere. Uh, all right, Dad. So... You know, why don't we just start at the beginning? Um, how did you get started in this industry? How did you become the manager you are today? What has your track been? Well, I think the, um, I, I, I kind of got lucky along the way. So I, when I was in high school, I worked in a couple restaurants. I was a dishwasher and a cook and a few different things and, uh, and a server. And then I decided I want to be in the industry, but I really wasn't committed. And then what happened is I, I didn't get accepted into college the first year. I was too late in applying. So I basically had a year off to kind of do a whole bunch of jobs. And I did a lot of crazy jobs. I worked on a farm, a tobacco farm. I worked on a grain farm, worked on a pig farm, a lot of farming, <laughs> <laughs> right? But I also worked in a, an apple bagging factory. I did the worst jobs you could possibly think of. And by the time I was done that, I was truly committed to working <laughs> in the industry because I, I, I saw that I needed a path. And I, and I like that industry. I like the people part of the business. So that drew me to it. And then when I finally went to college, I was committed. And I think if I would have gone a year earlier, I probably wouldn't have been as committed. And I probably wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't have even gone through. And then as soon as I graduated, I packed up the car, bought my mother's car for a couple hundred dollars, packed it up, and I moved to Toronto. And didn't have a job, 
uh, I got a room in uh, a house where some uh, friend of mine's brother lived near Madison Square Gardens and uh, where the Toronto Maple Leafs played and found a job. So within a month's time, I'd found a job. I think it was two weeks. And I started as a bar supervisor in the Westin in downtown Toronto. And probably the job was important. And I did a couple different things. I also got transferred into the sales office, global sales office, to do um, some additional work to prepare for a blitz. So I learned a lot. But I think the biggest part of that job was I found a great mentor, um, Bertle DeClute. And Bertle was, you know, I think we all find these people along as we go, we grow in our career. And it doesn't mean that mentor is going to be there the whole career. You're probably going to have three or four throughout your career. But you're going to need these people just as, you know, you're hopefully providing to be a mentor for someone else at some time. But so Bertle took me, took it under his wing. He trained me a lot while I was at the Westin. Then he also hired me in my next job in a different hotel and then hired me again in my next job. As he moved, I moved. So I worked with him in three different hotels, was given a lot of latitude to learn, really over for positions I wasn't qualified for, but because he felt I had potential, he let me make mistakes and learn, and he helped me through it. It wasn't without stress and lots of hours. I mean, I worked a ton of hours uh, at the beginning. But I was able to progress quite rapidly, and from there... um, I worked at a couple different jobs, and then I, I you know, I gradually I became, I, I was a general manager um, in a small hotel in Renfrew, Ontario. This was after the girls were born, at 28 years old, right? Small hotel I opened, that was my first hotel I opened. And from there, the, I think everything started to happen for me. I was lucky, I got the next general manager job, and eventually I'm in Toronto, I'm a general manager, a second hotel. And then um, I, had a, I had a down period in my career. I took a general manager's job with uh, one, a different company, and I didn't connect with the, the, the boss. My, the boss had hired me, got transferred. The one that I ended up working for was a different individual. So I didn't connect. So I was kind of stuck. I, I didn't know what was going to happen next. And, and here's one of those other rare chances. I had a general manager from another hotel at the Regal Constellation, which was owned by a company in Hong Kong. And he asked me if I'd be interested in interviewing for a job as a manager in Hong Kong for their company. And I said, well, sure, why not? I wasn't happy. So I went to the interview, thought it was my worst interview of my life. Um, totally didn't understand their culture, right, where they're very indirect in communication and they were very direct. So I didn't manage that very well. I left the interview thinking, well, that was a terrible interview. I'll never hear from them. And then... Surprise, surprise, a month later, I got a call in the middle of the night saying, are you ready to come to Hong Kong? All right, and was, you know, two four-year-old twin girls, my wife, and we just made the decision to go for it. And at that time, we didn't have the internet to look at, okay? <laughs> Back in the day. <laughs> yeah, all you had was the travel agent information on the hotels that where I was going to, where I was going to work for. And on Hong Kong, I'd had to go to the library to get videos um, to see what Hong Kong's supposed to be like. And even those were dated, right? So I really had no idea, but we, we actually took the chance. We rented out our house. We packed everything sight unseen. We moved to Hong Kong. Wow. Yeah, big risk. But, you know, we thought at that point, our lives, I, I think I was 32 or 33. I thought, you know what, this is a good opportunity. Maybe it'll be a great thing. And as it turned out, we took that risk 
and it changed my life, you know, at that point. And there's, there's where another opportunity, the, I ended up going, as, instead of a general manager, I ended up going as a director of operations, number two, because the, the, the hotels there are far more complex than in the U.S., a lot more restaurants. In that hotel, we had 400 rooms and nine restaurants and bars, plus large banquet facilities, and the hotel was super busy. So fortunately, the general manager there, fellow from the U.S., another one of my mentors, Rick Hodges. And Rick was one of these individuals that, you know, very straightforward, great guy to work for, helped me, guide me through a lot of the, the differences in management styles and communication, Asia versus the U.S., right? Understanding that was critical. And if I would have gone as a general manager, I would have failed, for sure. But he helped guide me through that. And then within three years, I opened a hotel for the same company in Shanghai as a general manager. And that was a 400-room hotel built inside an 80,000-seat stadium that we opened for the National Games of China. Right. No big deal. No, yeah. <laughs> so that we, we, the day after we opened, we were full with press from all over China, and the president of China was coming. And this is the only hotel that I've had to completely evacuate because the hotel looked into the stadium. Oh. The president of China was coming for the opening ceremony. They forced us to evacuate the hotel because of, in case of security reasons, of a sniper could possibly shoot the president. So not only did we had to evacuate all the guests, we had to evacuate all the staff. I couldn't even stay. Wow. So basically I handed over the hotel to the president's uh, personal army, right? And my, one of my security guys and one of my engineers were allowed to stay. That's it. And I went home and watched the opening ceremony on TV. Bye. <laughs> 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 yeah. Right. And then, um, wait, and there was a water park under the hotel too, right? Yeah, that, yeah, it was a huge complex because it, it was not just the stadium, it had a number of different businesses surrounding it. And wow. at that time, it was the biggest stadium in China. So, after that, it's time we went back to North America. And because of the opportunity and the, the work I'd done in China, I, I became much more attractive. And I was hired. Um, to open a hotel in Calgary, the Sheraton Suites Eau Claire. And a tremendous opportunity because it was the, the city hadn't seen a new hotel in over 10 years, and it was desperate for a luxury product. And we were able to really assemble a great team, and the opening went well, and the hotel hit the ground running from day one and became market leader within six months of operation. And from there, I never looked back. And probably one of the most proudest moments was after five years in time there, uh, that hotel was the number one hotel for guest satisfaction for all Sheraton hotels in North America, right? And year seven, the year I left, it won number one in the world. In the world? In the world for all Sheraton hotels for guest service. And just off the top of your head, how many hotels do you think that was at the time? If you, like a ballpark number. Oh, it had to be over a thousand hotels. Wow. Yeah at that time for, for all Sheratons. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was, that was a great experience. And I think probably the most important thing I, I learned there was the, the power of, of really having one team going in the same direction. And I think as a leader, you know, you're in stage management, you, you have a team and you all have to make it happen, but you have to, you have to know where you're going and you have, to, and part of that is communication from the leadership point of view. It's creating a vision. It's also trying to show what the positive outcome at the end looks like. 
and then getting everybody believing in that and then going in that same direction. And when you, when you open a hotel and probably when you open a, a show, for example, everybody's excited, right? And the energy level, if when everybody's going in that same direction to make it happen on time and to make it work right is super powerful, right? And you can't replace that. Just in day-to-day -day stuff, in most businesses, it's hard to replace that energy. Very rarely can you ever get everybody focused in the same direction. That hotel in Calgary is one of those times, right? And there I, I, I had another mentor. Our hotel was bought by Fairmont, and their vice president at that time was Ted Cassane, who was the VP, and he was working on the Banff Springs. And Ted was close to his retirement, but Ted was one of these guys that was just a great manager. He knew how to communicate with people. He, um, he really liked what we were doing in Calgary, so he took a lot of those ideas and brought them into Fairmont, right, when we were really operating as a Sheraton. Uh, it was interesting because we were a Sheraton brand, but managed by Fairmont, and I worked for Fairmont. And from there, I was given some great opportunities with Fairmont. I, I worked, I moved to uh, Orange County, and that's where our girls ended up staying and going to school, and then eventually Los Angeles, um, to reposition a hotel um, to a Fairmont. And then from there, they moved me to Vancouver to open the Fairmont Pacific Rim, which was one of the top hotels in Canada at the time of opening. And just a stunning hotel and one of these rare opportunities where the owner is very creative, has a lot of money and is prepared to spend the money. You know, he was a bit exotic at times, right? They say, you know, he was, a, but <laughs> the, the reality was there was a lot of latitude for creativity. And, you know, when you work for people that give you that room to grow, and make things happen, then you can accomplish tremendous things. And I always say there's money for great ideas. And that's another, I guess, another one of those slogans yes. I use, right? Yes. So I, I always tell our team, as tough as budgets are and as tough as expenses, there's always money for great ideas. Because you can never, you can never drive forward if you're always in a, in a defense mode. Mm -hmm. You have to always be in the offense, trying to drive, in our case, driving revenues, driving change, and the minute you stop doing that is the minute you start falling backwards. So always money for good ideas. And I, I used that before there, but I, I used it even more um, at the Pacific Rim because we did come up with a lot of good ideas. And that's part of the reason why the hotel was so successful. Then Fairmont transferred me to the Philippines where I opened another hotel, a Raffles and a Fairmont combined hotel. And then I made the decision to join Shangri-La. And Shangri-La is a great company, very similar to Fairmont, only Fairmont was U.S. and or North American based, where Shangri-La was similar, but Asian based. And I had an incredible opportunity to work at a resort called Razaria in um, Kota Kinabalu on the island of Borneo, where we had 500 rooms, three kilometers of beach, um, golf course built through the mangroves, and a 60-acre nature reserve where we rehabilitated baby orangutans to go back into the wild. So being um, a zookeeper, you can almost say, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> right, mm -hmm. is my most non-transferable skill because <laughs> I haven't used well, it since. I would argue because you also had a bee farm. Yeah, there. that's true. Yeah, there's a lot of nature there, which was really something that was really special. And then um, there was a time to come back. I was being transferred to Hong Kong. There was a reason to come back just to get closer to the girls. So we, I took a job in Palm Springs. 
and which I was here for two and a half years, and then they transferred me to San Francisco, where I was at the Westin St. Francis, which was this monster in Union Square, a 1,600-room monster, right, with five unions. So there was no joy in that for me, okay? There was just too much nonsense with the unions and everything else, and it really wasn't a lot of creativity. It was a hotel that was really a, a, an ATM machine for the owner, and it was a, just rooms, driving revenue. Well, and it's this historic figure, right? So yeah. it's different than the other hotels where you were maybe building something new and creating something, right? In this hotel, you're maintaining tradition. Yeah, it was 113 totally years of tradition. Exactly, right? right? With a very heavily entrenched unionized environment. So I wasn't getting a lot of joy out of that. And I thought everything was working well. Our two girls were working out of school. We felt free again, <laughs> <laughs> almost free. And, uh, and then we decided to go back to Asia. And that's where I am today in Taipei. So 23 hotels or 22 hotels later, that's my career. So there's so much to talk about in there. Uh, let's talk about mentors first, because it sounds like you've had a couple and it seems like you really credit them to where you are today. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say it's not without hard work because you have to earn that, right? But because of that, I was given opportunities that might not, I might not have had if I didn't know those individuals. And sometimes you don't know it at the time. Sometimes it's tough love, all right? Mm -hmm. But if, if someone cares enough to try to develop you, take advantage of the opportunity because it's not supposed to be easy, right? You're supposed to be pushed. You're supposed to find your limits, right? And you're and, and stretched to do things that maybe you're not comfortable with because you don't have experience in it, right? So what sometimes might appear as negative is quite actually quite positive. Mm -hmm. So if you are someone that's looking for a mentor, what would you tell someone to do? Well, I mean, I would reach out to someone you respect in the industry, right? Or your boss, if you're working somewhere, uh, as long as you respect that person, because you've you got to have respect for that person, because otherwise you won't really listen to it. Uh, industry, reach out to someone in the industry, reach out to your boss. Uh, it could even be someone in another business who you respect, right? That can help you personally, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot, of, I, I, I know one of the uh, guys that used to work for me as a director of human resources is now a personal coach for people. Oh. Okay. Okay. And, and sometimes the, that type of person can help you a lot because it helps you to reflect on what you truly want, right? Mm -hmm. Understanding your own goals. Well, and I, you know, both as your daughter and through just listening to you talk, you mentioned joy a lot and it seemed to be this thing that kind of pushed you forward. So it seems like joy was an important part of, you know, building your career, but also your life. Yeah, I think, you know, in, one thing I felt my parents, both of them didn't like their jobs, right? And I grew up watching them come home every day and there was no drive really. They're just doing the job because they just wanted a paycheck. And I told myself at that point, I'm going to do something that I like to do. And, and I've been fortunate because even today, I, I still love what I do. As long as you love what you do, you're going to find ways to make it work. Preach. All right. So feedback and communication styles. 
what would you say your primary communication style is? Well, you know, I always tell my managers, there's no, no need to assume anything because I'll tell you exactly what I think, right? And there's not politics, right? I'll let you know what I think. You shouldn't second guess it. If there was more meaning to it, I would tell them. Mm-hmm. So once they understand that and they trust that, then it makes things a lot simpler. And how do you get people to trust that? Because I have a similar communication style, and I always find the hardest thing is getting people to believe that because there are so many people that they, you know, there's a surface conversation and then there's a subtext. It's like a passive thing. And I'm so direct, and it's hard for people to trust it. Yeah, I think you have to be, you have to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to be consistent in your communication style. People have to know what to expect. Right? So when they should know how you're going to react. Right. There should never be a surprise. Right. And, you know, and I and I say the same thing with appraisals. Right. You, you have an annual appraisal. When I sit down with someone, I said, if there's any surprises here, then I haven't done my job. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think if you're consistent and people learn that you're consistent, they're going to they're going to start to trust you. So you would say that feedback is more just acknowledging the elephant in the room. It's not something that should be new information. Right. I think you have to create the avenue for communication. I, with most of, with the managers that report to me, I have weekly one-on-ones. And how I use that meeting is it's really their meeting. So I, they're, they're supposed to come prepared to, to say what they need help in, what they're just letting me know, right, or where they're going, right? And it's really their meeting. And I use that as an opportunity to help coach them. Mm-hmm. Wow. Weekly one-on-ones. I wish. So let's go back to the five unions conversation, right? Because you and I, you and I have had a friendly debate many a times. So you, is the hotel in San Francisco the only hotel you've worked in that's had unions? No, no. My, the first few hotels I worked at. I haven't worked at many union hotels, but I have worked at hotels. So I knew what to expect. So then as the general manager coming into the hotel with, you said, five different unions, mm-hmm. how did you even begin to learn and manage and oversee staff that are within these unions, right? Because you well, have a different perspective than me because I'm in the unions. Yeah. Well, I, I think it really it's up to the individual department heads. Don't forget that I, I mean, I have a, a, a level of leaders under me that re- really handle the team on a day-to-day basis. Right. So I'm only involved in some of the higher level discussions and if there's any issues going on, right? So, you know, I think the key is, is not to take it personal. Mm-hmm. Right. As much as you do. Right. It's hard not to take it personal when you see a note from the union calling you a rat or whatever, because you're, <laughs> you're, you're doing some sort of management adjustment. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but the reality is you, you, you can't take it personal. And if you do, then you're, it's going to be very tough, tough going. But I will say things move awful slow. Mm-hmm. Change is, 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 is almost impossible at some times. Mm hmm. So then, as the father of a stage manager, a.k.a. me, when I first told you that I was going to start pursuing this as a career, what were your thoughts? Well, I think there's two thoughts. One was, well, I talked you out of going into the hotel business because of (laughs) nights and weekends. (laughs) 
didn't really work out for it you. didn't really work out because you chose another industry with exactly the same problem that's true so but I, but I think I think it's something that I felt you were suited for I felt you were suited for our business too right you're good with people you can multitask you're you, you don't have an, a problem in taking on responsibility so it, I think it's a great industry for you the the key is finding the parts of that industry that are really going to make you happy mm-hmm so now, you know, perspective, it's been a few years now. I've gone to grad school. I've moved to L.A. I'm working full time freelancing as a stage manager, but still working very consistently. How do you feel about me in this career now versus when I first started? Well, I'm, I'm really proud of you in the way that you've progressed through the career. Right. And you're in a point now where you can choose different jobs, where you're not having to take some of the jobs that really aren't satisfying for you. Right. So I think I think from that standpoint, I think there's still you have to find that true happy path. OK. Mm -hmm. Right. That's going to get you where you want to get to. And then, you know, also provide you with the the, uh, the level of income that you need in this expensive world. Money. <laughs> it's a scary conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so real. <laughs> so. Uh, now, you, as a manager, work with a lot of different people. How often do you get to hire people? All the time. Yeah, it's mostly, right? Yeah, every manager that we hire has to meet with me finally. But generally, if, if they're working for someone else, I, although I'm part of the interview process, I don't make the decision. Right? I leave it up to the managers to really choose their people. It's more of a formality for me to meet them, and it's also to make the manager more comfortable so they know who the, the general manager is and... Also, it's a good opportunity for me to sell the dream. Sell the dream? What does that mean? <laughs> sell the dream. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, I guess, providing them with where we want to go, right? That vision, right? That, so when I say it's a dream, it's kind of thinking ahead on what the picture could look like if everything's successful. Right. So, you know, it's kind of like if you decide to take a job, if we decide to offer it to you, before you take it, this is what you're saying you will work towards. Is yeah. that kind of what More that is? More or less. It's providing, first of all, the status of where where their department might be at present mm -hmm. and what the dream would look like if <laughs> where, where we want it to go. I gotcha. Right? So they understand what some of the expectations are, right? But also what some of the aspirations of the business are, mm -hmm. right? Everybody wants to be part of something that, that's moving forward, right? That they see positive energy. Right. Nobody wants to go into a business that's going backwards. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you specifically get to hire the people that are going to be working directly with you, right? What do you look for? Confidence, uh, not overconfidence, right? I, I look for you know quiet confidence, right? Where they're you can sense they're they're comfortable with themselves and what they do. Uh, it's important that they they have a bit of a sense of humor. Uh, look you in the eye when they talk, right? So you know that they have that sense of confidence. Um, experience, but not as much experience as the, the sense that they can lead people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of times where we you hire less experience but better individual, right, mm -hmm. for a certain job because they fit what you're looking for. And, and generally, you need to know when you're hiring exactly what you're looking for because... A good example would be a chef, where, when we look for an executive chef. If we understand where we are and what our needs are, it may change a lot of the type of chef we hire. 
If we need creativity and change, we may hire a younger chef that's coming from a restaurant background where they've done a lot of different things. If we're looking for structure, we may hire a more senior, a veteran that maybe doesn't have the creativity but brings structure and discipline. Mm -hmm. So understanding what you're looking for at a specific time is critical. Absolutely. And then what are the biggest mistakes people make when they interview for you? When they interview for me or? Yeah, you know, like when you're interviewing someone and it's, oh, it's going really well. They're making eye contact. They seem great. And then there's like a red flag and you're like, nope. Like what's the most common thing people do? When they don't have an answer to a question. Ooh. Okay. okay. When they, when, or when you know that they're um, not being 100% truthful, they're being vague. Oh, right? interesting. So if somebody left a job and didn't have a job when they left and there's a gap, it's, I don't see that necessarily as a bad thing, but I want to know what really happened, mm -hmm. right? And generally how they handle that question will give you a good feeling. And then there's something else, right? I think over the years, and I, and I always tell my managers this, use your instinct, right? There's a lot of tools you use for interviewing, a lot of questions that, you know, that are through Gallup and all these different organizations that you learn that help you to try to identify their behavior patterns, et cetera. But there's an instinct that you gain over time from, from winning and losing, right? Or from, you know, failing and succeeding, mm -hmm. right? Through your interviews. So when you've chosen the right individual, there's something there that you felt, right? And when you chose the wrong individual and it didn't work out, there was something in the interview that you felt. You don't know what it is exactly, but it's experience, it's intuition, based on all these things that have happened to you over the years. It's trusting your gut. Yeah, exactly. Which is a common phrase among stage managers. Right. And my, my wife will tell me that the times I make mistakes is when I don't listen to myself. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And why do you think you don't listen to your, trust your gut sometimes? Because sometimes the experience, you, you look at the resume and you look at where they worked and, you, and you, you think of all these things and you think, I must be wrong because this person has done all these things. They're, they're going to succeed. Mm-hmm. But very... If, but I didn't necessarily have that connection when I interviewed them. Mm -hmm. All right? So I take the risk, and then I end up nine times out of ten, out of ten regretting it. Yep. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so you talked about your career, and you've worked at all of these different amazing hotels, different sizes, different locations and it sounds a lot like you started at the bottom and you really worked your way up and it sounds like you went through a lot of different departments do you think that's informed how you are as a general manager and how you lead yeah i, I think i i mean actually i i got, I got lucky because i moved up pretty fast so i had to learn a lot as a general manager mm -hmm. where a lot of people in the general manager position might have taken a longer time i chose a different path i was started in smaller hotels and worked my up what my way up where a lot of industry people in our industry go into a bigger hotel and work their way up in a bigger hotel that maybe takes 10 years longer. All right. So I did it a different way and I learned a lot on the job, to mm -hmm. be honest. Um, so knowing, you know, you, you can't be an expert in everything. And I think this is part of it, right? Understanding that the, at one point, maybe I was an expert in one or two things, but over time, I, I'm not an expert any longer because I'm not doing it every day the same to that same level. But you need to know a little bit about a lot of things to be able to hold people accountable, to keep the business moving in the right direction, 
Right. So understanding that you're going to what you can learn from your people at the same time. Right. And that's why this communication. Right. As you're helping them, guiding them, maybe on leadership styles. They're also helping you on technical stuff that maybe you wouldn't have had time to learn in your career. So don't be scared of having people that know more than you work for you because otherwise you're never going to learn. Right. Right. But they're an expert in what they do. And if you if uh, if you just take our industry for example, there's a chef. I'm never going to be a chef. Mm-hmm. Right. He's an expert in what he does. I accept that. So I know a little bit about what he does. I certainly know about the leadership and everything else. So he has a lot to give to me, or she has a lot to give to me and their knowledge and their skill. But I also have the ability to hold accountability. Plus coaching as as it relates to leadership, mm-hmm. right? Leadership kind of goes into every area. Executive housekeeper. I'll never be an executive housekeeper. She knows more than I'll ever know about how to clean a room. Mm-hmm. However, I know enough to keep her honest, right? To keep or her him, honest. Very <laughs> honest. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Right. So I think never be scared to hire people that know more than you. Mm-hmm. Right. Have the confidence. To be able to work with them and take out as much as you can from that person. So it sounds like you definitely believe in you're always learning, you're always growing as a person and as, as a leader. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody out there, listen to that. <laughs> I'm like to my core. I'm like you should be learning always as a person, as a stage manager. All right, Dad. So let's talk about work-life balance for a minute. Okay. How have you managed All right, so that? I, I, I'm not going to be the right person for this. Okay, <laughs> I can tell you. All right, because I tell my managers the same thing. The hospitality business is seven days a week, 24 hours a day. All right, that's mm-hmm. that. The business never closes. Doesn't mean I work seven seven days a week, 24 hours a day. However, at a certain point in my career, I learned to embrace the fact that in in some ways I'm always working. So everybody tries to draw this line. This is my business. This is my personal. And you're always fighting with this thing of, oh, I, I'm, I'm crossing my line. I don't, I'm, this should be my personal time. But it's, business is interfering with that. So you're fighting this fight that can never really be won, especially now with technology. Mm-hmm. You're reachable 24 hours a day. So you just, it doesn't mean you need to work all the time, but you need to embrace it as part of your life. And if you like what you do, it's not interference, mm-hmm. right? It's actually a way to, to kind of get around that. And, and when we look at all the different places we lived and everything we've done, all of our lifetime friends, we've met through our business, whether they were customers or friends of somebody through the hotel. When we attend a gala on a Saturday night, it's work or is it fun? Mm-hmm. You know, it's how you look at it. I, I would, some of the younger managers would say, well, I got to work Saturday night. I have to go to this event where my wife and I would look at it. So we're going out for a fun time and we're going to meet people and, and enjoy it. So you embrace that. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say work-life balance is really about understanding, right, how to balance it yourself, but not drawing lines in the sand. I see. So it's more about... Um... I don't know, intertwining them? Yeah. It, your, your work is part of your life. Right. So you say work-life balance. Your work, you spend more time at work than anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, it's, it's one and the same. So work-life, life-work, 
<laughs> yeah, so you might as well make it a part of your life, yeah, right? Yeah, don't don't fight it, right? So I, I'm not a good example. It's probably what <laughs> not everybody wants to hear, right? But... Um, but you go on vacations. I go on you vacations. You spend weekends with it. I remember all the Sundays. Yeah. Right? You still make time for the personal to be a priority. Right. You just don't uh, punish yourself for, like, having happening to answer an email on your Sunday. No. Right? Exactly. You, just, you allow it to flow. It. Yeah. yeah. I embrace it. It doesn't, doesn't mean I'm looking for work, and if I don't have to do anything, I don't do it. Right? But... At the same time, if there's, I, I understand if I get a call at ten o'clock at night, that I that's why I'm in my job, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's part of it. And my managers would only call me if it was an absolute necessary. Right. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, anyway, it's. I think. I think you, you have to understand what makes you feel right. But if you try to fight this thing and draw a line in the sand, <laughs> it's going to be very hard to progress because it means you're not making the right decision all the time. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, any last words of wisdom that you'd like to drop on us? Hmm. Well, you'll never be successful without great people. Ooh. Right? So you need to surround yourself with great people. Right? And find a way to communicate effectively to make their experience as positive as yours. Mm -hmm. Right? And if you have great people around you, then you're going to be successful all the time. Well, on that note, thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Zupanski. Thanks, Morgan. I'm proud of you. This is great. Ah, oh, thanks. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this bonus episode. Again, I hope you're having a great Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to my dad, my hero, and really, you know, my mentor in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he's all the way over in Taipei right now, and I'm in California, and I miss him and my mom as well very much. And uh, I'm so glad we got to do this today and share a little bit with all of you. So with all of that in mind, a few things before you go. Make sure that you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. It's going to help other stage managers find our show. Also, make sure to click subscribe so you see the new episodes as they show up every week. This podcast is presented by the Stage Managers Association. If you want to keep up with the SMA on social media, they have all the socials. They have Twitter, they have Facebook, they have Instagram. Definitely check them out. Also, if you want to keep up with me on the socials, you can look for me on Instagram at Morgan underscore Zupanski. Also, if you want to follow my dad on social media and see the cool things that he's up to at all of the different hotels that he works at. Uh, you can find him on Instagram. His handle is rzupanski, R-Z-U-P-A-N-S-K-I. In today's episode of Hashtag SM Life, you heard from my dad, Mr. Randy Zupanski, and myself, Morgan Zupanski. Thanks again for listening and stand by for more episodes.